Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Okay, welcome back. Uh, we'll begin our day soon, but we, it's our tradition to go around the room and say our names before we hear from our speaker. If I may, I'll begin. My name is Roy. My name is Sylvia. My name is Hanu. My name is Elliot. My name is Henry. Andrew. I'm Greg. I'm Joe. David, Jason, Stuart, I'm Baruch, I'm Jim, Don, I'm Brad, I'm Bob, Stephen, Mike, my name is Jerry, I'm Brass, my name is Tom, my name is Matthew, Jeff, Oh, my name is Michael, I'm Jack, Daniel, Peter, John, I'm Don, my name is Tim, Grisha, my name is Al. I'm Richard. Is that everyone? Okay. Great. Thank you. Our speaker today is Jennifer Barazan. Welcome, Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer is a, a unique blend of musician, teacher, and activist. She has created 10 albums, a combination of singer-songwriter CDs, as well as long-playing healing works. She recently released Song, Song for All Beings Live. The live video of the recent performances that included over 100 artists, activists, and spiritual teachers. I believe you have a DVD of that as well. That's great. That's also available now. Her lifelong involvement in environmental, women's justice movements, and earth-based spirituality are at the heart of her work. She's been a Buddhist practitioner for over 30 years. She teaches at the California Institute of Integral Studies in the Department of Philosophy and Religion, and she will be at Spirit Rock uh, for New Year's Eve this year. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's always, um, probably say this every time, because it's true every time, that it's always really just fun to drive across the bridge and come here and be with you. It's such a unique context uh, for me to present in. And so it's a, I feel honored, really, to be invited. So. Thank you for having me. Um, I'd like to just begin with a, a little bit of chanting, um, and then I'll offer a short, some short reflections, um, and then we'll do some more chant and song. You know, um, many of us who come into Buddhism, if, especially if we started in the Theravadan tradition, Vipassana, we might have, I went on uh, when I, in my early 20s, retreats where there was absolutely no singing, right? Can you relate to that? Um, and I sort of, I, I had this idea that there, uh, that there was no chanting in that tradition. Uh, when Buddhism came here and was brought by some of the early teachers to places like Spirit Rock and um, in the East Coast centers, the chanting part was removed and we ended up just with pure insight meditation. So sometimes when it started to be brought in it felt kind of strange and was that allowed, you know? But the truth is, if you've traveled in Asia, um, all Buddhist traditions have a song and chant. 
probably every spiritual tradition, except maybe some of the very extreme. I don't know if there's some extreme fundamentalist Christian sex where you're not allowed to sing. That might be the case. But <laughs> So um, saying that, that what we're doing, of course, is deeply rooted in Dharma, in Dharma practice. This is a simple <coughs> mantra that comes from the Tibetan teachings, which is just the sounds Om, Ah, Hum. Um, and they're considered energetic uh, phrases that, in this case, with this mantra, are said to open the um, body, to open speech, thought, and action, and infuse it with compassion. It's uh, kind of considered a, a purification chant. So instead of burning sage, the beginning of something, you could do this chant, Om, Ah, Hum, and it sort of functions the same way. It's kind of bring a purifying energy to our minds and hearts. Just Om, Ah, Hum. And you can sing in unison in the beginning, which just means we all sing the same note. And then if you feel like you want to sing another note, Pete Seeger used to say that any note your neighbor's not singing is a harmony. Oh. 
resting, resting in this body, nothing to do, no one to become, nothing to change or achieve, just resting here and letting the resonance of the chant help us settle more deeply. Writing in a feeling of ease as much as possible. Really inviting quality of softness around our experience and no matter what you bring today, whether it's a feeling of well-being or whether you're carrying something challenging, whether you're feeling grief or anxiety or any kind of challenging emotions or reality in your life, or whether you're feeling like it's a time of flow and ease, whatever it is, just knowing that the practice can hold all of that. Resting here for a moment, just allowing it to all settle and be held and included. Well, I was wondering what I was going to talk about today, focus on, and couldn't help but notice that we're in the holiday season. I know Hanukkah is starting soon, for those of you raised in the Jewish tradition or who are involved in that. And of course, the coming of the solstice, the darkest, longest uh, night of the year, and all the beauty of that, and the Christmas holiday and into New Year's, whether we are, we grew up with any of that or we celebrate any of that, um, it's also true that the season is changing. And I've always loved holidays because of, they, they feel like markers to me. And they're, um, they, if you go back to the origins of most holidays, they are rooted in the changes of the earth and the changes in light and changes in uh, the growing cycles of plants and the hibernation of animals and the emerging of life in the spring and all of that because we're humans and animal humans I think we are deeply connected to um, in, our, in our bodies whether or not in this overly kind of technological culture we live in um, we've so we're separated from it day to day, most of us, and I think we long in some ways to return to that. And so um, the, um, the word that came, came up was transformation. And, um, and then I thought, well, there's, 
There's a lot of transformation, of course, in, in the Buddha story. It's all about that. It's called awakening or enlightening, enlightenment. Or my activist friends might call it getting woke these days. But this way of um, where something that was opens and changes. And, it, and from a kind of Dharma, in Dharma language, you might say that the conditioned way of seeing things opens up to reality. The habits of the mind and heart um, shift. And there's a shift into, into insight, into understanding and wisdom. And we all know the story, of course, when the Buddha was asked, are, are you a god or are you a man? And he replied, I'm awake. And I love the, the, it's like the Rumi poem, you know, don't go back to sleep. And so, in a way, the, the whole, to me, the, the deep beauty of the Dharma is an invitation to, to wake up from the trance that we fall into. And I don't know about you, but I just constantly am falling into it. And then the practices um, help me. That's what the practices are all about. And I think that's why probably you come here. It's a way to, um, to, uh, remember. It's a kind of deep remembering, waking up, who we really are. And um, so, you know, in thinking about coming here to this particular Sangha, I, I, I don't feel uh, right about speaking here and not talking about gayness. It seems like, why would I do that? It's such an opportunity. I, there are no other places, very few, that I get to do that. And um, and I've, I've often, I've long felt in my own life, and I know many of our lives, that my own emerging understanding of, of my own identity uh, as a woman, as a lesbian, uh, is very, it's, 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 um, it's intertwined with my spiritual journey. I can't separate those things. Um, and I think it's true for, for all of us, our own, our, our, you know, our racial identity, um, our cultural identity, all these things are part of our spiritual path and can't be separated and shouldn't be. And they're, they're the, um, the compost and the fuel, I think, for wisdom to emerge. So I just I wanted to talk about this, this uh, theme of transformation and tell a story that I've never told in public, which is my own coming out. So this is like, it's like really, I've never told that in public. Uh, and I thought this would be a good opportunity um, to do that. In the context of this um, thinking about uh, transformation, and um, just a little more about that is that I think as when you're part of a, a minority group and um, you... Um, you bring your identity forward, you are offering an opportunity for others to transform because our culture is so um, habituated in terms of, as we know, of course, uh, ways of thinking about gender and um, race and identity. And so uh, as, as people who are parts of more marginalized groups, um, there's this great potential for awakening hearts and minds. You know, we see it all around us. You know? um, so my own story is that I was um, raised in a Catholic environment. 
how many of you were. And I went to a Catholic school, and some of you, how many of you were raised in a pretty traditional environment? Say, okay, only the Catholics. <laughs> um, so it was in the 70s that I kind of came of age, I uh, turned 18, and um, okay, I remember now, 79. Um, and in that time, there was no, I was living in the prairies of Canada. You know, there was no anything <laughs> to reflect back to me who I was. And, um, but as I'm, I'm sure it was true for many of you, there was a, a slow understanding of um, coming to, to understand who I was. And um, started probably around high school. But I was very involved in the Catholic Church. So my own condition, thinking about my own identity, was so intense that I could not allow myself to really open to the reality. And it was too terrifying. But eventually, um, life took over, and I had a, a, a girlfriend when I was 19, and very, very um, secretive. And we were still very involved in the Catholic world. And... Um, and then, you know, I started to get involved in activism and in um, a lot of the music community. And eventually I moved to, Ber to Oakland. And I did my master's degree at the um, Institute of uh, um, Creation Spirituality with Matthew Fox, who was a progressive Catholic priest. And I was surrounded by all these progressive Catholic types. <coughs> and I had no problem coming out to them. So I was uh, being supported by all these nuns and priests. It was so strange because the, the world that I had felt sort of limited by now was the kind of gateway for my own, uh, for, for me being able to accept myself. And I was roommates with a 72-year-old Catholic nun. We lived in an apartment on Fruitvale Avenue and I was like 24, 23. And she was this activist, radical, amazing woman. And we lived together, and one um, week, my mother came down to visit. And I thought, this is the time. I have to do it. And so Sister Yvonne was telling me, supporting me, and I told everybody at school, and so all these people who had my back. And my mom, it was the last night that she was there. I still hadn't been able to do it. You know, I don't know if you had that experience, but you just want to say it. You can't get it out. It's too terrifying. And so she was in the living rooms where she was sleeping, and I went in there. Sister Yvonne had gone to bed, and I went in there, and I just like blurted it out. Mm -hmm. I just need to tell you, I'm gay. And, um, and then I ran away. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom was like, my mom acted like totally cool, but I think she was just completely stunned, you know. Mm -hmm. And I ran into Sister Yvonne's room and threw myself on her bed, and I was like, I did it! <laughs> and, um, but then um, my mom went home, and there was this whole process of her integrating it. And there was a rocky time of their, she told my father, and he was part of the Knights, Colum Knights of Columbus, which is a very right-wing Catholic organization, was very involved in that. In that. And, um, but what happened is that over time, it took a number of years, but, um, you know, there were some rough moments, but they rose to the occasion. They had the opportunity to um, 
really, I think, because of their deep love for me and the fact they also were pretty free-thinking people in a certain way. I was lucky. I know this is not everyone's story. There are lots of people who this was not their story. But over the years, they, um, they blossomed, you know. They weren't marching in P-flag with me or anything the next... <laughs> but they were... Um, they were willing to open their hearts to what was true, which was that they cared about me, they loved me, and that um, they, they, they explored their own uh, troubles around it, their own limitations, and transformed themselves. And it, it, I know there are so many stories like this, um, and I feel very blessed by that. And, and, and I think that our culture is transforming, uh, people around us are transforming, and I think that each of us is given these opportunities in our lives, you know? So, um, for me the teaching right now is what places in my own psyche are stuck or limited in my own ways of seeing others and myself that need to be transformed even though it's difficult. And these are, I think, personal transformations and they're wider global transformations that are needed now on our planet. The other thing I wanted to talk about um, was the um, experience I had last weekend of going to see a Christmas carol. Mm. I took my godson because when I was young, that story had a big impact on me. I don't know if you remember it coming on television every year. I watched it in its black and white form. And the story of, um, most of us know, you know, of Ebenezer Scrooge, who is, because of a difficult childhood, um, has somehow ended up on this path of, uh, where, where by the time he's, he's older, he's completely <clears throat> shed his heart to the world and to other beings, and is obsessed with wealth and his own workaholism and his own, own isolation and I went to the play last weekend, it was beautifully done here in San Francisco and I came out thinking this is so dharmic <laughs> this, there is so much dharma in this story of this man's transformation and so I went online because I thought I think I'll talk about that next weekend, I wonder if there are other Buddhists thinking this way about this story and so I looked it up and and then I found all these teachers who have given Christmas talks about a Christmas carol being, you know, profound, transformational Dharma text. And <laughs> I thought, okay. Um, and some of the images I have that, um, that really remained with me are, you know, in this, when he first goes home on Christmas Eve and he goes to bed and he's awoke, he's, he wakes up with Marley's ghost waking him up, his old business partner wakes him up and he's come to him to warn him and Marley is um, he's bound in all these chains and he's carrying all these chains, he's dragging them with him and he says to him, Ebenezer I've come to warn you these chains are the results of my actions in this life I have ad added links to this chain every day through my turning away, you know, through my choices. I thought, oh, there's the karmic teaching. And I thought, what a beautiful image and a terrifying image of the ways that we 
chain ourselves, you know, these burdens that we create by our actions, by our turning away, by our closing of our hearts to ourselves and to each other. And um, Scrooge says to him, but you are such a great businessman. You know, you were so awesome. And, and Marley responds, he says, business, cried the ghost, but mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of, uh, were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. I thought, wow, that's a bodhisattva <laughs> teaching right there. Um, and of course, we, you know, the story, of course, is that what ends up really um, finalizing or opening the gateway to Scrooge's transformation is in the final. Uh, experience of the visitation of the ghost of the future where he sees his own death. And I was reminded so much of how in um, Tibetan Buddhism they teach to reflect on your death every day. And not as this morbid, um, depressing um, meditation, but because when we reflect on our death, what is important becomes more and more clear. And this is what happened to him. And in the play, he is like this. He wakes up and he's a being of luminosity. He's uh, full of joy and uh, sweetness. And his whole being is changed because of this experience of letting go of what doesn't matter. It was so clear to him. But it's a deep kind of almost spiritual transmission, you know, that he has, the way that he's just full of light. And a couple days ago, I sat um, at a cremation of a friend. She was a very, very, very wealthy woman. And I hadn't seen her in a while. And my friend Nina Wise, a Dharma teacher, invited me to come and do some mantras at Fernwood at the, um, the Green Burial Place in Mill Valley. And I, I went and I walked in and I hadn't seen my friend for about a year. And there she was lying on the gurney with in a little in a cardboard box, her body. She wasn't there. But she was dressed in this beautiful sari. Her nails were perfectly done as they always were in life. She had her all of her jewelry on and she wasn't there. In her beautiful house, you know, everybody was staying in it, in her cars and her places all over the world. She's not there. They don't belong to her. I mean they have nothing to do with her anymore. She can't access any of it. It was like so striking because it was so big, you know, there was so much stuff left behind. And it was so clear that it really wasn't hers. And um, the combination of these things just all kind of uh, swirling in my being is um, what I wanted to bring to you today, just this thinking of what it means to wake up. And the, um, the things in our life that give us the opportunity to do that, you know? whether it's um, really speaking truth, and whether it's um, confronting our own mortality, and realizing um, that so much of what I know I spend my life focused on and concerned about is so unimportant. But I fall asleep over and over again. 
I would welcome the visit of a ghost to remind me if <laughs> needed, you know, like, please, um, because I fall asleep too. But in that line, I'm also thinking about the world right now, and it's impossible not to. This is David um, Orr, who's an ecologist. The plain fact is that the planet does not need more successful people. But it does, it does desperately need more peacemakers, healers, restorers, storytellers, and lovers of every kind. It needs people who live well in their places. It needs people of moral courage, willing to join the fight to make the world habitable and humane. And these qualities have little to do with success as we have defined it. Read it again. <laughs> the plain fact is that the planet does not need more successful people, but it does desperately need more peacemakers healers, restorers, storytellers, and lovers of every kind. It needs people who live well in their places. It needs people of moral courage willing to join the fight to make the world habitable and humane. And these qualities have little to do with success as we have defined it. Okay, so I'd like to do the chant of impermanence. I think it's a beautiful chant. Um, on its surface, it can sometimes feel um, I don't know, you know when you all things are impermanent. It's like, oh, really? But then, of course, when things are Problematic, it's kind of nice to know they're impermanent too, right? All things are impermanent, they arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. Why don't we sing it call response just because it's so great to hear your voices by yourself a couple times and then we'll sing it together a few times. <laughs> All things are impermanent, they arise and they pass away. All things are impermanent, they arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great
like to share this mantra that I learned from Lama Sultram Aliani. She's a Western woman who became a Lama many decades ago. She spent many years in, in Tibet studying and practicing. She has a center in Colorado. And about a year and a half ago, she had a birthday and she asked that her students sing this mantra. It's a mantra to Tara, who's the Buddhist um, deity, or you could say awakened being of wisdom and compassion. And this is a particular version of the, of the Tara mantra from the seventh century that is, um, they say, uh, dedicated to help uh, in times of natural disaster and war. So, very powerful um, intention. So let's just we'll do it one line at a time. You will speak it first. So the, the traditional Tara mantra is really Om Tare Tu Tare. So let's say that. Om Tare Tu Tare. And then this one goes Ture Vajra Takahana. Ture Vajra Takahana. Litsa Patsvaha. Litsa Patsvaha. Pat often is said like that. I learned it from um, uh, Ani um, Tuptin, Anam Tuptin, who's a teacher of mine, Tibetan teacher, and who often have us doing pat. It's kind of like a wake up, yeah. cutting through, cutting through delusion and um, aversion and greed, the things that create suffering in our world. Waking the mind and heart up. So let's do it one light at a time. Call response first. Om
finish with some metta.
have a, maybe like two minutes if anyone has anything they'd like to share or ask. Hi. <laughs> 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 you know, I just have to ask it because it's like on my mind. Yeah. And I don't even know that there's an answer, certainly not in two minutes. But <laughs> sitting here, I'm, I'm so moved and, and appreciative of the fact that I have had a journey that seemed to have moved forward. And whether it's a journey to awakening or a journey into the light and sharing the light, it's, it's been a, a journey that, that has been supported by what has ever been called into the environment into which I am born in. So now I'm also challenged as so many others to find myself in the world where so many, are so many people who are so close-mindedly intent on doing so much damage. I've not seen that before. I, and I just, my immediate inclination is I'm just not going to look back. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I know. It was such a beautiful hour you provided us yeah, with it, but I, it made that experience so more poignant for me. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. I mean, we're in those times, absolutely. I feel that, and I can take in so much of it only, and then I have to uh, find ways to, you know, to really fuel. What is it? It's. Um, well, I have to detox from it sometimes. Retreats help me do that in, different, in being out in nature. And, but also, um, I'm not really interested in a spiritual bypass, you know? I'm not interested in using spirituality to just push it all away or pretend it's not happening or tell a different story about it, because it is happening. And I think that Maybe we haven't in our lifetime seen it quite like this. Many generations have at different times at different places in the world. And amazing beings have lived within that. And I think about Joanna Macy. She's a great teacher of mine. And she says, is there any other era you'd want to be alive in? <laughs> it is an amazing time. And it's really hard. And it's, I mean, it's so painful. And I'm furious half the time when I'm not, you know... I mean, I'm, I'm working with all that too, we all are, but um, I think that's why we do our practices. I think that's what spiritual practice is about. It's to meet the times, it's to meet what is arising. I feel that way about the world, you know, the loss of species. I've learned this from Joanna, you know, there are species that are dying and are never returning. So do we turn away from it and just act like it's not happening, or do we grieve and honor and turn towards it? To make our and it brings meaning to our lives. To me, it's like how do we make our lives meaningful in the midst of what's going on? And I love this quote, you know, about how what our choice has given that, you know, about what it means to be successful or what we turn towards. And the forces are strong, I agree. And there's so much amazing, you know, stuff. Have you ever seen you know, Paul Hawkins, a wonderful teacher? He has this um, presentation he gives, and at the end. He has a, like it's a kind of a video, and he lists all the organizations around the world that are doing amazing things, and it goes on and on and on. There's like millions. It goes for on for like, I don't know, it, it's just endless. And you watch it and you go, wow, okay. Because I get isolated, and I think that's partly. Technology promised to connect us, but I find it's often just, I'm just getting in my little thing, and then I go out into being with other people, and that's, 
that's how I that's how I work with it too, uh, connecting with others. But it's, a, it's such an important question. <laughs> Thank you for the question, bringing it into the room. Maybe one last. <laughs> I just want to thank you for this wonderful hour we spent and uh, for reminding me of the power that we all have to transform and so it inspires me to believe that people who seem to be rigid and concrete in their um, setups still might break apart and uh, find a way out and I believe that all of us by living our own uh, lives and accepting our transformations mm. be they good or bad will um, let the vibrations we just set off in this room go out and affect other people mm. we have to keep doing good the other thing that I was reminded of is the cyclical nature of being a human being we we are awake during the day, we go to sleep, we wake up again. And that's a paradigm for awakening itself. It's not just one event. We awaken over and over again. It's in our nature. And it's the same with coming out. You yeah. don't just come out <laughs> once. <laughs> that's <out>. true. <laughs> I, mean, I realized that a while ago, and it blew my mind. I thought, I've already come out. Thank you. Oh, I wish we could all talk for longer, but I think we have announcements. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Yeah. Our speaker next week will be uh, Heather Sunger, who's been our teacher here quite a few times. Heather began teaching meditation in '99. She also uh, runs day longs and retreats, and she'll be here next week. She's a wonderful teacher. You can look her up at heathersunberg.com. Um, our host today will be passing around the Donna Bowl. Donna Bowl is the word for polyrhythmic generosity. And the suggested donation is 5 to $10. <coughs> Whatever you can freely give is always greatly appreciated by the Sangha. And of course it pays our rent for this beautiful space, newsletter for our speakers, uh, the Larkin Street dinners, and mailers that we do every month. So, and our, who is our host today? I'm your host. Hi, my name is Jim. Um, welcome. There's some treats on a, on the counter. Over here on this wall is the sign-up sheet if you would like to um, be connected to our um, announcements. Um, there's hot water for tea, and if you use the cup, please um, just leave it in the sink and I'll clean it up. Um, and typically, um, people who want to uh, join together for lunch meet at the door at around 12.30, anyone who's invited. <coughs> And I'll be going around with a Donna Bowl. It's the season to be generous. We feel generosity when we exercise it. Um, so you'll be seeing me with a bowl. Uh, oh, also, I have a ticket for a three o'clock show this afternoon at the Roxy um, uh, called, called Then They Came For Us. It's a wonderful documentary by Abby Ginsberg on uh, the Japanese Americans internment during World War II, and I'm unable to use it. So if someone would like to claim it, I'll be around. Mm -hmm. So, thank you for coming. Thank you. Are there any other announcements? 
The uh, funeral for John Draco will be this Friday at the San Francisco Zen Center. Mm -hmm. um, I posted it to Facebook. I'll post it to our listserv. Um, I imagine it might also be on their website. I don't know the time, but uh, I think it's three o'clock. Three Everyone's invited. And it's next. You said next Friday. This coming Friday. This coming Friday. This coming Friday. Yeah, Friday. Friday. Uh, she was a dear friend of our Sunday. Yeah. Thank you for letting us know about that. Yes. For those of us who are Jewish, the first Hanukkah candle will be at sundown on this Tuesday night, December 12th. Thank you. Sir? Yeah, those of you who haven't seen the movie God's Own Country, it's what we wanted Brokeback Mountain to be. It's just mm. a superb movie. Mm. I wanted to just also say um, about New Year's Eve at Spirit Rock, it's, it's very fun. It's a really meaningful way to come and celebrate New Year's. I know I'm always looking for a way to do that. It's me and Nina Wise and Wes Nisker, and there's meditation, there's dancing, there's a lot of singing and chant, there's food, there's, <coughs> it's deep and profound, and it's also very joyous. So if you're looking for somewhere to come and really be partly in kind of spiritual community, but, um, but also celebrate the turning of the year, uh, in a fun way, please come. Anyone else? Okay, let's stand for the dedication of merit. By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is with, without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity, without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.